This is Coochie's Corner Podcast, hosted by Bobby Bailey. Check us out on social media, Facebook at The Crew Chief, on Twitter at The Crew Chief, Instagram at Crew Chief's Corner, and on TikTok at Crew Chief's Corner. And now on the Anchor Podcasting Network at anchor.fm and the Anchor app. What's up, everybody? This is Bobby Bailey here at Crew Chief's Corner Podcast, bringing you guys Another episode here, we are going to do um, the Auto Club Speedway, um, well, was the last race that we broke down. We are going to break down Las Vegas, and we're going to break down Phoenix, um, and we'll preview the races this weekend out at the Atlanta Motor Speedway, and um, first, we're going to start with late-breaking news. So, we just found out, NASCAR just announced this within the last hour or, or so, that they have announced the penalties for Hendrick Motorsports for taking the hood, uh, the hood louvers off of the number five, the number nine, the number 24, and the number 48 cars. And they are awarding Hendrick Motorsports an L2 penalty, which means that they lose 100 driver points on Kyle Larson um, because Josh Berry was driving the nine and not Chase Elliott because uh, Elliott's injured. Um, they're not going to lose 100 driver points there, but they lose 100 owner points on the five. They lose 100 owner points on the nine. The 24, William Byron, who won the race, lost 100 driver points, and the 24 car lost 100 owner points. And the 48 of Alex Bowman has lost 100 driver points, and they've also lost 100 owner points. The organization um, has also been assessed ten, uh, a 10-point playoff penalty, so they have remove 10 points from the five, the nine, the 24 and the 48 on both the driver and owner sides with the exclusion of the nine, because again, Josh Berry was in the car and Josh Berry does not um, earn cup series points. He earns Xfinity points. So the loss of 10 playoff points only applies to the owner's side of the nine car, just like the hundred point penalty only applies to the owner side. Um, And it's not fair to penalize Chase Elliott, who's physically not in the car, so he's not benefiting from um, um, the louvers personally because he's not driving the car. Um, this is very much in line with what NASCAR did last year to Penske. Um, they did the same thing to RFK, uh, FRM. Um, all got penalties last year, similar in nature. Um, maybe not Penske, but I know FRM and RFK definitely both got similar type penalties. And also Colleg Racing got the same penalties that Hendrick did Um that um, Hendrick did. So Justin Haley lost uh, 100 driver points and Matt Colleague in the 31 car lost 100 owner points. And I believe they also got the 10 point uh, playoff penalty as well. So definitely season altering penalties for both those organizations. Um, And then the other piece of news off of this penalty report is that Denny Hamlin has been docked 25 driver points and has been fined $50,000 for his actions in Sunday's race at Phoenix when he uh, wrecked Ross Chastain and admitted it on his podcast, Actions Detrimental, on Monday. So um, big penalties um, for big things that happened during the Phoenix race weekend, which we're going to break down that Phoenix race here in a little bit. Um, But we'll get to Las Vegas first. And, you know, my initial reaction to the penalties is, is, you know, NASCAR has for once been consistent and has given the same penalty to multiple organizations within the span of a couple of years. Um, I think a lot of people, whether you're a fan of the Ford camp or not, were a little bit worried that because this was Hendrick Motorsports, that somehow, some way, NASCAR was going to go lighter on them than they did with FRM and RFK. And NASCAR did not go light. They actually gave them the exact same penalty, the exact same um, ramifications, and now... What this will do is once the points get released, I didn't go check the media site yet to see if they got re-released or not yet, but I'm sure they're, they're alter. I mean, they're, I don't want to say alternating them, but they're, they're uh, editing them to be proper with the point, the uh, point penalty reductions in there that um, we'll be able to go in and see how far that drops them uh, in the owner and driver points. I mean, I'm sure it's going to take, you know, Byron down um, a, a few spots. It's probably going to take Larson down a few spots. Um, obviously it's going to take the nine way down, um, cause hundred owner points. I mean, and they're, they're going to lose hundred owner points, but a, 
you know, a hundred owner points uh, on top of, you know, Las Vegas, not making a lot of points with Josh Berry finishing, I think 29th in that race, you know, now you're in a real big hole. If you're, you're Hendrick, especially on that nine side of things, um, you got to get really cautious where you're going. Cause you don't want to be outside that top 35. Um, you know, so we'll see what happens there, but you know, I mean, they, if there's an organization that will take this and stride and bounce back and probably win the next five races, it's going to be Hendrick. You know, you just, you just know that those guys are, are usually on top of things. And I think that, um, with, you know, William Byron's win on Sunday, I mean, I think that proves that, you know, the hood louvers, I, I don't know how big of a deal that really would have been had they let them run the, the modified version of them, whatever Hendrick did to them. Um, and I, and I think it would be nice to know exactly what they did with it, but um, I'm sure maybe the guys on DBC talked to it. I didn't get a chance to listen to DBC this week yet. Um, sometimes I try to listen to them before I do the podcast, just so, you know, because usually like Freddie Kraft or, or, or Brett Griffin, somebody has the inside track on on what's going on there uh, sometimes with, with that stuff, you know, because especially when you're on the ground in the garage area, you know, I know, I know Brett's not doing every race and um, right now spotting, but you know, if you're on the ground at the track, you know, you sometimes will hear from, you know, from sources um, exactly what they did. But I hadn't heard uh, heard anything from anybody um, about what they did, like what their what the modification was. You know, like when JGR got the penalty on the 11 car um, for the Pocono situation with the, the tape on the nose, you know, I kind of heard the grumble about that as well. So, um, you know, it was a silly penalty back then, but you know, that was a, that was an alternating thing situation too. So, um, yeah, it's a little weird, but it is what it is. Uh, big penalties for those guys, you know, at the end of the day, you know, they modified the car. You're not supposed to do that. They got the penalty, you know, and hopefully they don't try to fight it and make up some cockamanian reason why they, they don't deserve it or something. I don't know, you know, I hope not. I hope they just take it and just say, Hey, listen, we, you know, this is what, you know, we screwed up, whatever. And that's it. And just admit it and move on. Be done with your life. You know, um, the other thing, you know, so there's, there's, there's then the other thing of, you know, the Denny Hamlin, Ross Chastain situation. So it was kind of funny. I was scrolling through Twitter, which is always a very dangerous thing to do in life. Um, and I was looking at uh, some different things on my, I forget what account I was on, whether it was on mine or the Coochie's Corner account. I forget which one I was on. But somebody pointed out the genesis of the Chastain Hamlin situation. And I'm like, yeah, I was kind of wondering how this all started. Because, I mean, we knew about the contact last year, but I'm like, there had to have been something before this that kind of set this thing in motion. And someone brought up, remember, you know, during the pandemic in 2020 when we had no racing, they were doing the i racing the the pro the pro series right um i forget exactly what they call it the e nascar you know whatever i racing pro series whatever it was and chastain was driving the 6 car because this was right after Ryan Newman's wreck at Daytona and <clears throat> Roush was putting them in their 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 6 car you know the sim car um he did end up driving the the um uh the real life 6 car for a couple races as well but um, there was a situation where Denny dumped Ross Chastain at the North Wilkesboro finale of that, that event of that series. And I was like, wow, that's all started way back in 2020 at an iRacing event. And it kind of has been going on for the last three years now. So Denny goes on his podcast action actions detrimental, which is, it's an interesting listen to if, if, you're looking for a podcast from the driver's point of view. I mean, I know you could listen to Corey LaJoy stacking pennies. There's some good ones out there. Um, you know, Dale Jr. did a decent job when he was driving on the Dale Jr. download, but Denny's podcast is really good because and I'm not I'm not a Denny Hamlin fan by any stretch of the imagination, but Denny is authentic in it. He gives you his view uh, view on things and his version of events. And, you know, I think the Chastain thing, um, you know, him coming on and admitting it, I don't have a problem with that. I mean, listen, you know, you, you know, guys have been wrecking each other on purpose for years. This has been going on for, for probably decades, right? You know, it's just now you have this outlet, the social media outlet where guys, you know, I mean, I know the joke is always, well, everybody's got a podcast. Well, yeah, there's a lot of people that have podcasts, but 
there's very few drivers I think that would go on their podcast and say, yeah, you know, I just dumped that, that, you know, one car on purpose. Cause you know, I got a score to get settle with him, you know, and Denny did it. I mean, imagine back in the Kurt Busch and, and Jimmy Spencer saga that was, you know, 2003 or 2002. Exactly. I, I don't exactly remember the year, but imagine if like Kurt Busch had a podcast and said, oh yeah, I dumped that, you know, SOB Spencer on purpose. Imagine what that fine would have been like, you know, back in those days, you know, the, uh, the pre, the pre, uh, boys have at it days, you know? Um, yeah, that would have been something, uh, to see, but that's what I mean. You know, you're, you're, you're admitting that you wrecked the guy on purpose. And I think Bubba Wallace, you know, got the, a similar type penalty, if not the same exact penalty with the whole thing with the Kyle Larson situation at Las Vegas. So, I don't again I don't have a problem with NASCAR did. They're they're being consistent. I mean, it's something that they have not been over over the years. And I think that finally they're they're waking up and they're understanding where where the fans want them to be. Is just be consistent. I mean, you know, um I think yet again they were inconsistent with cautions. I think if you look at Las Vegas, uh, for example, I thought the all the caution, no caution calls were the right calls. But then you look at the caution call for Harrison Burton, a lot of people, a lot of people are upset about that one, but I can't fault NASCAR for that. Um, I think the, the, just the pure spin point, him spinning around and not hitting anything and keep going was not a caution. His car is spewing pieces of metal, pieces of, of rubbers, uh, rubber all over the track. Um, that was a cause for the caution as far as I'm concerned. Um, him physically spinning the car out is not a caution, you know, cause it, it, it's just, you know, his car goes around, he catches it, he goes on, he gets it. But I think the way, you know, Freddie explained it on uh DBC, you know, last week with the Las Vegas situation, specifically the Eric Almarola, Eric Almarola spin was that, you know, when you see smoke coming off the tires on a car, you know, being that these, you know, you got to remember the tower at most of these tracks are on the front stretch. Now, I know Phoenix is a little more unique. It's in turn three and four because of the way that that track is set up and the way they configured it. But, you know, when you're seeing something and you're far away from it and you see smoke, I think the the, the human reaction is to hit the button. You know, I don't, I don't think it's a bad reaction because you don't know, like, did another car hit him or or her, you know, and, and is the driver injured? I mean, there's a lot of those little things that I think the average fan sometimes gets mad about, like, oh, God damn, why'd they throw that caution? Well, of course they're going to throw the caution because they're worried if the driver's injured or not, you know? Um, and I know a lot of people point to the last lap of the Daytona 500 this year and saying, God, they could have let them race back. You know, the guys weren't that bad. I'm like, but I, I also understand why they did it because if they didn't do it, there would have been a problem, right? You know, if they let him race back to the to the checkered flag and, you, you know, there was a driver hurt in that situation. The, you know, social media would explode about how dare they, you know, let them race back and this, that and the other. And, you know, you know, so and so was sitting in his car, you know, having, you know, was in, in so much pain and they should have gotten to there so much faster and this, that and the other. I mean, I can only imagine what would have happened. Um, you know, and then the caution with, um, Almendinger getting T-bone there at the last lap at, you know, at, at Las Vegas, they had to throw the caution there too. I mean, you know, he got T, you know, or they, or they didn't throw the caution. He got T-bone, but he drove out of it. You know, he got away from it. He was rolling and that, I mean, obviously if you're hurt, you're not rolling away from an accident. You're stopping where you are. So they didn't throw the caution on that last lap there at Las Vegas, which again, I had no problem with, because again, you know, if, if AJ sat there. And didn't move his car, then you would go, you would want to roll the safety equipment, uh, you know, to him as fast as possible and get the AMR safety crew to him and all those things. So I just don't understand why, um, you know, NASCAR sometimes, you know, is inconsistent with the cautions, but at the same time, I don't think they did anything wrong, especially not the last two weeks, but I know they've been inconsistent with it. Right. So, um, I get the fans being upset about it, but I just, it is what it is. Um, I know a lot of people probably want to hear my opinion on the Chase Elliott situation, him getting hurt snowboarding. Um, I respect the heck out of Jordan Bianchi, but he's the biggest dummy I've, I've met 
with his take, <laughs> you know, um, he's a, he's well-respected in the garage area. I, I, I'm not dissing the work he does, but you can't have that opinion. You know, he wants it. Oh, you, you know, you got to make, make better choices during the season. And I would have it in a contract. Well, Jordan, there's a reason why you're not an NASCAR team owner. And there's a reason why, um, you're, you're in the media side of things, bud. Um, you know, I, I don't think that that's really the take to have. I think what happened to Chase could have happened in a magnitude of situations, okay? I, I think that the, the the natural reaction is to jump down Chase's throat and say, how can you go snow, snowboarding in the middle of the, of the season, right? And I get it. You know, Chase has snowboarded for years. He's very good at it. He is – I obviously, he's not an Olympic athlete at it, but – He's not terrible. He's not an amateur. This isn't like the third time he's ever been down the, a mountain before. He knows his way around the snowboards um, in the mountains and stuff like that. So he's he's skilled enough that he's not getting hurt all the time because of his inability to snowboard um, or know how to go down the slopes the right way and things like that. What what happened to him is a pure accident, okay? And I, I don't I don't get the the people that want to say. Chase should have not done it or whatever. I, I don't understand the, that viewpoint. I just don't get it. I understand the financial ramifications of the nine car not making the playoffs, right? But at the end of the day, Chase is going to come back. I mean, they're, they're saying he's out six weeks. He's already missed. He's already missed two races, which in actuality, he's going to end up missing seven. But, you know, I think at the end of the day, no matter who it is, there's a risk that we all take every day going to work, right? You know, when we get in our cars and drive to work or take a bus to work or whatever, however you get to work, that's a risk you take every single day, whether you want to admit it or not. And if anything, you know, um, what did the last three years teach any of, of you that are complaining about Chase Elliott going snowboarding? All right. Think back three years ago when we had COVID and we were all locked in our houses, right? Because everybody was afraid of getting COVID and dying, right? I think that in some ways I was hoping that people were going to kind of look past this and say, Hey, listen, the kid's got to live his life. And there's a lot of people out there that think that way. Um, I just think that we got to think about, you know, how fragile life can be. Right. And I'm not saying I'm not, I'm not comparing this to COVID. I don't want people to take that, the, you know, the wrong way. What I want you to think about is that, you know, Chase has got to go live his life. He's got to do the things that make him happy. You know, Chase Elliott flies an airplane to and from the racetrack every week, right? And Chase flies that same airplane, goes there to appearances. He goes and does, you know, he, he probably went to Colorado on his private jet. And that is, that is just as dangerous, if not more dangerous than him going down a mountain. And we all got to remember that there's, there's a risk of doing what we do every single day. And like none of our employees tell us to sit in our cars and bubble wrap and come to work and do all that, you know? So I think people just got to get, get out of the mindset of, we have to tell the drivers what to do and what they can and cannot do. Right. It's the same thing in real life. I mean, there's situations that happen in all of our daily lives where someone gets hurt at work, someone gets hurt out, you know, off the job, and now they're out of work, right? And now it that puts an extra strain on the team. You know, you you gotta put your a person short, you know. Um, these things happen. I mean, you know, there's times where drivers got hurt. I mean, you know, I, I know a lot of people don't like talking about because they're a very dark time in the sport. But, I mean, if you go back to the 1993 season, we had two drivers who were lost um, in the same, same you know, six, eight months time span. One was, you know, Davey Allison in a helicopter crash, and the other was Alan Kowicki on a plane. You know, and, you know, I, I don't think anything came out of that that they told driver, you know, that people went in the contracts and said, hey, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that. I thought Kyle Busch had a great – I had a great quote. I thought Kyle was very astute to point out that Joe Gibbs used to go to Kyle Bush and tell him not to drive dirt cars, right? Because he could get hurt. And then Kyle got hurt at Daytona in that 2015 Xfinity wreck 
driving one of Joe's cars and got hurt. And he said, I went to Joe and told him, I got hurt driving one of your cars. I'm allowed to do whatever I want now. So to sit there and say that how dare Chase Elliott go and snowboard is almost as silly as telling a driver you can't drive a certain type of motorsports because you can get hurt. Guys, these pe- these drivers can get hurt in these cars just as much now, and we've seen this even more so the last two years than any other time in this sports history, you know, in the last, let's say, 20 years. And we're worried about Chase Elliott getting hurt on a snowboard. You know, these guys put their lives at risk every week. You know, go back and look at what happened at Kurt Busch in 20, you know, last season at Pocono. He spins his car out, hits the wall hard. Now, that was a hard hit. I was there that day that happened. And I was like, ooh, that's not that that to me, that wreck looks scary. And I'm, you know, he was out for the rest of the year. He had to retire because of concussion. Now, now Kurt Busch, you know, he can't even get medically cleared to get back in a race car. You know, and, and you're upset that Chase Elliott went and snowboard and got hurt. You know, I, I, so when I heard jo- Jordan say that, I'm like, I'm scratching my head. I'm like, you would think after everything we've been through, like I said, the pandemic, you know, we all were, like I said, we were all in lockdown because we were, nobody knew what was going on with the pandemic, right? Everybody was like, well, what are we going to do? You know, and, and nobody bubble wrapped all. I mean, yeah, they, you know, in theory, you could say, yeah, they bubble wrapped us all because they left, basically made it where we had to stay in our house. Or we could go out and do very limited things. We were in bubble wrap. Is that the is that what you want the drivers to live? I don't think so. I don't think that's fair. These guys are going to get hurt and 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 whatever doing any kind of activity. I don't care what it is. You know, I, I understand taking a, a substantial risk. You know, is is putting your sponsors in a in a bad spot. But at the end of the day. If Chase Elliott likes flying an airplane, Chase Elliott likes going down a mountain on a snowboard and goes to Colorado in the beginning of the season because that's when the snow's on the mountain and all that stuff, I don't have a problem with that. I don't think any of us should. So I just, you know, when I heard the take, I'm like, it's just such a bad take. And it's and it's a take by a guy that should understand, let, you know, let everybody live their life the way they want to live it. I don't, I don't care what these drivers do during the week. You know, if they want to go out and go on a mountain, that that's fine. If they want to go out and party and drink and do whatever, that's fine. As long as they show up and perform on the race track, that's that's what we as fans should care about. We shouldn't care about what they do in their private lives. You know, as long as they're not doing anything illegal or they're not hurting anybody or causing a problem, what does it matter? What does it matter what they do in their free time? You know, it, it's just like I feel the same way about about how people treat professional athletes. I mean, I look at, uh, you know, you look at Twitter and everyone's killing Kyler Murray, for example, right? About how he plays Call of Duty. And, you know, oh, there's a new expansion pack or there's a new challenge out there. And there's people memeing him up and down. Who cares if he plays Call of Duty? Okay, he sucked, you know, in the the football game last week or whatever, you know? And and people were railing on, oh, that was because, you know, Call of Duty had that new, that new, uh, you know, drop this week and he was playing it nonstop. Stop it. Stop it. Who cares, man? You know, the guy the guy probably would have had the same crappy football game whether Call of Duty came out with a, a new release or not. You know, like, come on. You know, stop, stop, you know, just stop it. You know, it's just, it's it's nonsense. It's nonsense. And like I said, it was like one of those things I was hoping that, you know, because of what we went through the last three, you know, couple years, I was hoping people were going to be better about this. Like, hey, man, he's just enjoying his life, living the moment, all that stuff. You know, everything that people were talking about. We all forgot it. We all forgot it. I saw a lot of it on Twitter, man. I saw tons of it. But my stance is I have no problem. You know, I'm a Chase Elliott fan. You know, am I am I upset that he he's going to miss seven races this year? Yeah, I'm upset. But Josh Berry's going to do a great job. And I didn't understand the people roasting Josh Berry uh, on, on, on Twitter either. You know, for getting in the nine car and running 29th at Las Vegas. There was zero expectation on Josh Berry to run to run uh, Phoenix, right? Zero. I mean, uh, Las Vegas, there was zero. And people were just out there killing him about this. This is why they should have put Al Geyer in the car. This is why they got to call Jimmy Johnson. Ah, da, 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 da. Then what does he do? He goes out and finishes 10th. And and then everybody got, that, there was a couple people that got on me 
when I posted about Josh Berry's career best finish, there was people that got on me and said, Hey, you know, you shouldn't have done this or you shouldn't have done, you know, you know, or anyone could drive the car. That was what one guy said, you know, um, you know, and, and, and any, you know, any driver can get in the car. So my comment back to him was, so when are you going to take the nine car to victory lane? You know, and that's not a keyboard warrior moment for me. That's, that's, Hey, listen, pal, you say any driver, I want to see when you're going to drive that nine car. You know, you're saying any driver, you know, and then, and then he, and then his, his response classic is why I said driver, not anybody. And I was like, I don't care. You, you, you're implying that any, you know, when you say any driver, you're, it's, it's, you know, schematics, you know, you want to say, oh, driver. Well, I'm not a driver. Well, okay. Well, you drive a car probably, right? You drive a car to and from work. So yeah, you qualify. You know, what do you think? You're going to strap in that nine car and win? So some people just have a no no concept of reality, and, and it's kind of funny when you see it. But, um, yeah, I have no problem with Chase going out there and, and, and snowboarding. I mean, you know, it is what it is. And and, and like I said, he could get he could get hurt or, or seriously worse happen to him flying that plane. You hope to God that never does happen. But, you know, that that's it's it's a fact of life. You know, there's there's no telling what's going to happen to any one of us at any given time. You know, um, and, and I know like it was funny because Freddie Kraft was saying about the, you know, I don't want to hear you could step off the, the, the curb the wrong way and break your foot or this, that and the other. I'm like, yeah, but that does that could happen. You know, Denny Hamlin tore his ACL playing basketball. What are you trying you know, what are you going to do? Tell Denny Hamlin don't play basketball when you have a basketball hoop in your garage i mean come on you know that that just it just makes no sense some of the stuff that people were trying to say i i just think that let these guys go out and live their lives like i said as long as they're not you know hurting somebody injuring people like doing something harmless or so, doing something to cause harm to someone i don't mean harmless i mean if they're causing harm to a person then yeah they shouldn't be doing that but um I, as long as they're having fun, they're skillful at what they're doing. If it's a sport, um, I don't really see the big deal with it. I really don't. And, and, and even like, you know, like Bowman goes out and runs sprint cars, you know, uh, Larson does, you know, sprint cars, midgets, dirt late models, uh, you name it, Kyle Larson's in it and uh, on the dirt side of things, you know, there shouldn't be a, 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 a push against these guys to not do those things. Cause that's what they want to do. They want to race. They want to have fun. They want to live their life. Let them live their life. You know, I just, like I said, I just think that Bianchi tank was horrible. And like I said, you know, we, we all take a risk every single day in our lives. So, you know, sometimes we got to look at in our, in the mirror ourselves and say, yeah, we take a risk every day too. You know, there's a lot of things that we do in our daily activities that we take risk. I mean, imagine, you know, there's, I'm sure some of you go out there and you're, you know, out in a field riding an ATV. There's a risk driving that ATV. You could flip it over and hurt yourself, right? Um, you know, you go, you know, you go and and are out in the ocean, you know, or out in the the sound, or out in in the in a river or, or wherever, you know, jet skiing on, on a water, you know, on on a boat. You know, you're you're taking a risk driving a boat, or even sitting on a boat sometimes. You know, there's risk in daily life. You know, and these guys, a lot of them all live by Lake Norman. I mean, Chase lives, you know, in, in Dawsonville, but, you know, those guys all sit out in Lake Norman and, you know, do all kinds of different water sports, jet skis, you know, power sailing, all that stuff. There's, there's a, there's risk associated with everything. What are you going to do? Throw, throw bubble wrap on the driver and say, Hey, listen, you can't have fun. It's, it's just not what life should be. Let the guys have fun. Let the guys do what they want to do. You know, let let the drivers live their lives. That's what I'm saying. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break here on the Crew Chiefs Corner Podcast. And when we come back, we are going to go over Las Vegas Motor Speedway, the race recap for the Pennzoil 400 presented by Jeffy Lube. And that's coming up next here on the Crew Chiefs Corner Podcast, hosted by Bobby Bailey. Hey guys, it's Bobby here for Crew Chiefs Corner. 
I have a great deal I want to talk to you guys about. So you guys know I'm into NASCAR diecast. I collect it with a great passion. It's probably my biggest hobby that I have is collecting different drivers diecasts. And one of those great sites I go to and visit all the time is circlebdiecast.com. It is where I get all the latest diecasts. They have all kinds of different drivers. So if you're into Kyle Larson, you're a Chase Elliott fan, William Byron, Alex Bowman, um, you name it, they have it. They also have great apparel. So you can get your t-shirts there. You can get hats there. They even have novelty items. So you could get like a bumper sticker, keychains, you name it, circlebdiecast.com has it. And what's great for you as a Crew Chiefs Corner podcast listener, if you use my promo code Crew Chiefs Corner, it's all one word, no apostrophe in the S, Crew Chiefs Corner will get you five bucks off any U.S. order over $30. That's a great deal. Even today in this crazy period with prices going up, we will still get you $5 off your shipping order from Circle B Diecast on any order in the continental U.S. that is over $30. So remember, use my promo code Cruci's Corner. That way there, Brent and LaDonna know I sent you there, and you guys can get all the latest and greatest diecasts that you are looking for. Again, you can even get your favorite driver's diecast. You can get last week's race-winning diecast. It's all there at CircleBDiecast.com. And I want to thank them for all their support of the Cruci's Corner podcast. Thanks, guys, and check out CircleBDieCast.com. Check out TheCrewChief.net for all the latest NASCAR news, driver points, owner points, uh, race results, race schedules, paint schemes, and, of course, all the latest news and information. That's Once again, that's TheCrewChief.net. Your portal to the world of NASCAR silly season news and racing statistics. All right, guys, back here on the Crew Chiefs Corner podcast, hosted by Bobby Bailey. We are now going to talk about Las Vegas Motor Speedway. And uh, that race happened two weeks ago. So we'll uh, kind of recap it real quickly here for you. Um, I mean, a total domination by HMS all the way around. Uh, William Byron led the first you know, a few hundred laps, it seemed like, of that race. I think he ended up leading, like, 176 or something like that, 175. Um, he led the most amount of laps uninterrupted since the arrival of the next-gen car. So since last year, it was the most laps consecutively led by a single driver in any of the next-gen races since its launch at the 2022 Daytona 500. And... um it was probably the most boring race in a lot of people's eyes um, that you will have ever seen um, as far as the next-gen races go. And it was kind of a little concerning because I'll put it to you guys this way. You know, we had seen some duds last year, mostly on short tracks. I mean, I was at Dover, um, which I thought Dover wasn't a dud. I, I thought Dover was it was sort of exciting for once. I mean, I felt like that was the best of the short track races they had. But you know, the rich um, Martinsville spring was horrendous. Um, Richmond was all right. I mean, it wasn't great, but Richmond was okay. Um, There's just some races where I just was like, man, I don't know if this next gen car is really going to work, um, you know, as well as they thought it was. But then you look at some of the mile and a half races last year, and there was phenomenal racing on the mile and a half. And, and you know, uh, this year at Fontana, the race was pretty decent. Um, I just, I just worry that, you know, it was it. This car is so temperature sensitive that you know the cold weather out there in um, Las Vegas is what I think really caused the problem. Um, if you ask me, I think that's really what caused the issue for um, the next gen car at um, at at Las Vegas. I think that's why we had sort of what we had. Um, I do think Hendrick has done their homework this offseason and has really gotten better. I don't think it has anything – I just want to say this. I don't think this has anything to do with what's going on with the Garage 56 effort. I think, you know, the people that want to say that Garage 56 has a, has a um, you know, a positive impact on what Hendrick's doing does not know what Hendrick's doing with Garage 56. You know, Garage 56 is being worked on by people that are not necessarily involved in the NASCAR program. Um, 
you know, there's a lot of development and engineering folks that work at Hendrick that don't work on the NASCAR side of the business. Um, you know, they do have a R and D department that works on stuff. Um, and they also have the Hendrick performance group that works there and they work on performance cars and things like that. They also have a track attack program, which takes former cup cars, you know, the old gen six cars and makes them into SCCA, you know, road cars. Um, so I don't, I don't necessarily think that the, every single person that's working at HMS is working on the NASCAR program is involved on the garage 56 side of things. It's just not how it's working. Um, yes, I know Chad Knauss is in charge of that project, but he's also involved in the NASCAR team. And I know a lot of people are point that out to me and say, Oh, you're wrong. You're wrong. Well, okay. But you know, I don't think that that particular car is the reason why HMS has been so dominant. This was the first off season that these teams were, were going to have the cars in an off season. Like last year, you remember these teams were struggling to get race cars before the Daytona 500. So they didn't have a lot of time to tinker with these things. These guys had the entire off season to tinker. And because unlike in years past where you had to build your cars or rebuild your cars, put new body parts on or, you know, build new bodies and all this and that, the teams aren't doing that anymore. It's all done by, you know, a third party company now. So the teams were just able to tinker on the cars and figure out, you know, the, with, with the little box that they have to play with what, what they can do to make these cars faster. Because at the end of the day, that's what these teams are going to do. And, you know, HMS with all the resources, all the engineers they have, all the computer simulation, they have all that stuff. They can, they spend a lot of money and they're going to, the cream's going to rise to the top. That's just how it is. It's just, it, it's just nature at this point. Right. So it doesn't surprise me that they're dominating. It, it shouldn't surprise you. I mean, you know, the average race fan last year got to see something that I think is a true anom an, an anomaly and something you're not going to see this year. You know, the little teams like the, the front row motorsports, the, um, you know, some of those mid-pack cars are not going to be as successful this year as they were last year. Reason being, the big teams, the teams that have the money, the HMSs, the um, Joe Gibbs Racing Team, the other organizations that that have that middle-of-the-pack funding aren't going to be as successful this year because the bigger teams like HMS, like JGR, like Team Penske are have had these cars all off season and they've been tinkering with them all off season. They've been running simulations. They've been putting drivers, you know, whether it's their own simulators, whether it's the Ford, the Chevy or the Toyota sim rigs, whatever they're doing, they're all working on these cars and trying to figure out with what little parts and pieces they can tinker with legally they're doing. And I don't think for a minute that hood louvers is not something that a team thought of. I'm sure HMS was playing with them. I'm sure that's why they got caught. I just saw a statement that says that they're going to appeal the penalty. Like I said before, I said, you know, they can appeal it all they want. Um, they're trying to say that they weren't notified that they were taking the louvers. They're trying to, HMS is also trying to say there was a voluntary inspection that they went through. It's inspections, not voluntary. You present your car prior to going on the racetrack. That's not a voluntary thing. As far as I know that the, that there is a pre, qualifying or a pre-practice inspection. And I pretty much have, as long as I've been around um, the sport, I've seen guys go through it pretty much all the time. So I don't think that's voluntary. I think they have to do that. If I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong, but if I am, I'll admit it. Um, But I do think that, you know, they got caught because they're trying to bend the rules. And, and for those of you that, that say, Oh, HMS is cheating and this, that, and the other, listen, if you're not cheating, you're not trying to win. And, and this is one of the things I've, I've said it a lot. If you're not pushing the envelope, are you really trying to win? You look at your Rick Ware racing teams. You look at, I mean, Rick Ware, sometimes those cars have trouble getting through inspection sometimes because even they are trying to bend the rules a little bit. I know some of that is because they, when when they get the Stuart Haas car, Stuart Haas tries to get some, something through on the Rick Ware side of things. I'm sure Roush is going to try the same thing. They're going to try to push the envelopes, maybe not on the RFK cars, but they might push them on their Rick Ware cars. Um, so, yeah, I just, you know, that is what it is. But getting back to to the HMS dominance out Las Vegas, you know, them finishing one, two, three shouldn't surprise anyone. Because, like I said, they they spend the most money, right? They have the, the 
the highest payroll probably in the sport. They have the most engineers. They have the most computer sims. Um, they're the number one Chevy team. They're the premier Chevrolet team in the sport. And they've won the most championships as far as, as uh, Chevrolet teams has gone. They've won the most cup championships. I think they've won 14 overall. So it shouldn't be a surprise. You know, this is like the New York Yankees, you know, who have 27 world championships going out and, and you know, winning, you know, winning baseball games, you know, winning a hundred game season. It shouldn't be a surprise. The Yankees should be doing it every year, but you know, it's just like, it's just like Hendrick. Hendrick should be going out every year and dominating. Right. And when you see William Byron go out winning a race, you're like, wait a second. You know, it's kind of like, it's kind of like when, when, you know, the, the Yankees, you know, put out their, their backup players and the guy who's the backup shortstop hits two home runs and wins the game. You're like, Oh, where, where the hell did this kid come from? You know, and that's what you look at William Byron has right now. Like, you know, you expect Chase to win. You expect Kyle Larson to win. But when you see Byron, I think, and Bowman winning, you know, a lot of people say, wait, what, what's what's up with this? Why are they winning the race? You know? So you're not thinking of, of those guys as much. But, um, you know, the, the, the late race caution at Las Vegas, the Eric Amarola spin that, that really – kind of set up that that uh, green-white checkered there was really what helped William Byron. And, and the, the pit stop, you know, getting him out there, um, you know, taking the two tires. Truex was the only guy that took no tires, the only guy that stayed out. And I think really for Martin, for that to work for him, he needed like five or six other guys to stay out. And there was just nobody else willing to gamble. And I don't have a problem with Truex staying out there. I mean, if I'm a Martin Truex fan, I know there was probably a few of them that were upset that they did it, but – I wouldn't have a problem with that because, listen, Truex hasn't won a points-paying race since 2021. Um, you know, these Get that. these guys have, have struggled. Uh, my apologies for that. I guess my watch decided that I was trying to talk to it. Um, you know, he hasn't won a race since 2021. Um, you know, he won the Clash, which is a non-points race. Um, so they're, they're just trying something. I mean, they were running 13th or 14th, I think, at the time. So stay out if... You lose if you come out in the top ten. You're going to still win out on spots. You know, like what 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 is there to lose? You know, in in that situation for Martin Truex Jr. As long as you don't wreck, you're probably going to come out on the plus side of things. So, it is what it is. Um, but a great restart there by William Byron. He takes the lead on on Kyle Larson and uh, drives away. And then, like I said, there's that late race, uh, the the wreck on the last lap where A.J. Allmendinger gets T-boned and then drives out of it, um, you know, drives away and stuff, and it was all right. Um, you know, just just all exciting uh, ending. Not such a great race uh, overall. I mean, I don't think people are going to give it a real high score. Um, you know, I, I think on a scale of 1 to 10, it was probably a 6. You know, it was all right. I mean, the, the ending really helped it. If, if the finish wasn't as exciting as it was because of the wrecks and stuff like that, I think it would have been a 3 you know, a three or a four, but you know, you give it a six. Cause it was all right. Um, wasn't terrible. Um, so then there was a lot of momentum riding for William Byron in the Phoenix and Phoenix, you know, Kyle Larson goes out, sets the pole was like stupid fast. Uh, you hear about the louvers being taken from, um, all four of the Hendrick cars and also the 31 of colleague. Um, so, you know, something figgy is going on there. Um, you know, with the louvers, you don't know what they're trying to do. I don't know if they're, like I said, I don't know exactly what they were trying to modify. Did they, they put an extra piece of carbon fiber, you know, was there an extra piece in there? Was there, you know, extra little like film tape or something on it that's not supposed to be on there? I have no idea. You know, did they wrap part of it that they're not supposed to? I, I have no idea. But um, they got caught. They all got caught. So five cars lose their hood louvers and they got to go get them from other teams. And um, I don't know who gave them the four. I don't know if they went to, you know, Hendrick. I mean, not uh, Hendrick went to like, you know, RCR and was like, hey, do you guys have like, you know, a couple extra sets of these that we could just take, you know, or they went to, you know, I'm trying to think of who else, you know, would have those, um, you know, type of thing. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, what was I going to say? Um, but yeah, Larson dominating and qualifying faster than everybody. And the beginning part of the race, you know, he ran pretty good. Um, 
I know he won stage two. I can't remember if he won stage one or not. I don't think he did. But, uh, you know, Larson was a, was a contender. I mean, he was someone that people were going to look at. I think William Byron won stage one, if I remember correctly. Um, and Larson won stage two. And then Larson seemed like he was going to cruise to the victory because, you know, his car was just really good. Um, and then all of a sudden, like towards the end, you know, Kevin Harvick, Kevin Harvick's car comes alive, which shouldn't really surprise anybody. I mean, Kevin Harvick's career has been known as the closer. I mean, you know, I think that all started way back in 2011 or not 2011. That was, I think, 2012 or 20. It must have been 2012 um, when he uh, came up behind Dale Jr. When Jr. was running out of gas to try to win the Coca-Cola 600 and Harvick passed him and Darrell Waltrip called him the closer. Um, so that's how that whole thing started. But, um, yeah, ever since then, I mean, it just seems like that that moniker is stuck. And Kevin's kind of thrived in those situations where, you know, late race situation, he reels in a leader and runs him down and passes him um, or gets a late race caution and, you know, takes an interesting tire strategy, him and Rodney Childers, you know, maybe take two tires where a lot of guys take four and it it wins them the race kind of situation or takes fuel only or something. But, um, you know, he just naturally drove up there and got around him and was dominating. It looked like Harvick was on his way to his 10th career win at Phoenix uh, in the Cup Series, which would have been, I think he would have been the fifth driver ever to win 10 or more at one particular racetrack. Um, Richard Petty did it at five different tracks. I know Dale Earnhardt did it. Um, Richard Petty has done it, like I said, five times. Uh, David Pearson did it. And I want to say Jimmy Johnson was the other driver, if I recall. I think those were the five or four. And then Harvick would have been the fifth. Um, but yeah, it was, it was just really interesting. Um, that caution comes out late in the race and, and listen, I mean, Harrison Burton loops it around. Then the tire starts shredding. I don't have a problem with that caution. I had a problem when it was just a spin. And I know a lot of fans had a problem with it just being a spin. And then they went, but you know, I mean, I saw part of that fender flying apart too. And you don't know where that metal was going or the carbon fiber, whatever that's composite material that that's uh, that's made up of those fenders these days. But that I know it's not metal. I know it's like a composite body, but, you know, that composite piece is going on the track. I mean, that could cut a tire down, you know, whatever. And, you know, that does, you know, cause a situation. So um, it sucks. It sucks that it kind of ruined Harvick's win because they go down and take four tires. And I think Harvick even said in his post-race interview that he was going to take four tires no matter what. Um, so they weren't going to go on two. Um, and, you know, the HMS guys all jumped on the two-tire strategy. Byron got out before Larson. And that's what that's what really gave, you know, Byron the win. Uh, Blaney tried making a move uh, on the inside of the on that restart. Couldn't make it happen. Uh, Byron blocked everybody uh, pretty well. And uh, just drove away with it and ended up winning the race. So uh, another win for William Byron, six career wins now for him, back-to-back weeks. I know a lot of people don't like that that big hat that he wears, but that's the thing. I mean, I, I forget, I forget it was the Giants or the Yankees or somebody was wearing those in the locker room last year. You know, if they like had a big hit, I think it was the Yankees. We're wearing that if they hit like a walk off home run or walk off hit or something um, or had a big play, they were putting on the hat. I want to say I saw the Giants doing the same thing last year. Like, you know, they would give the guy who, you know, like the, the MVP of the game, they would give him the game ball like they normally do in a locker room. But I felt like they were also giving them a, that big hat, too. So, I mean, that's a that's a brand. That's a company out there. And I'm, I'm sure that um, they're. They have a deal with Hendrick. So I'm, I i don't think Byron's going to be the only one wearing that. I think it's all the HMS guys are going to have them. I don't think that's just a Willie B exclusive. Um, but apparently uh, you can go buy those at the HMS uh, website. If you go to HendrickMotorsports.com, you can go buy one of those hats. They're expensive as hell. They're 150 bucks. I want to say. I looked it up. I saw 150 I said, get the hell out of here. I'm not spending $150 on a freaking stupid big hat. I don't think they're stupid looking. I just think it's stupid money they're charging. I just want to clarify that. I don't want someone to think that I'm, I'm agreeing with those people because I think it's kind of cool. I think it's, listen, it's different. You, you, you will definitely know when William Byron's wearing one because this the hat is like three times the size of his head. But it's 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 goofy. But it's it's 
it's all part of it now. You know, these guys want to be unique. They want to do their own things. They want to celebrate their own way. And if that's what William Byron wants to do, wear that big goofy hat in victory and let him, let him wear it, you know? And, and what I mean, it's goofy. It's goofy in the sense that it's like cartoony looking, right? You know, you look at it and you're like, wow, that's like someone did one, one of those character caricatures on William Byron. And I know everybody hates the cartoon characters on Fox, but it's like it's almost like the real life version of it in Victory Lane. And I'm sure that's why people don't like him. But I think it's kind of cool. I think it's like different. It's a it's something that, you know, you don't see other drivers wearing that. You know, I haven't seen like a uh Ricky Stenhouse wearing one yet. Like I didn't see anybody else wearing one of these hats. Um, so I think it's while it, it might be goofy looking, silly looking, whatever you want to call it, I think it's unique. It's something different, you know. Hey. You know, uh, these guys all celebrate in their own ways. They do their burnouts differently. They uh, get out of the car differently. I mean, Logano gets out and he's holding the steering wheel in his hands and stuff. And, you know, they all have their signature moments, right? And, you know, William Byron's coming into his own and he's trying to probably create his own celebration. And I have no problem with that. I think it's it's kind of cool. And I, like I said, while I do think they had to look goofy, um, hey, you know, they're, they're kind of cool too because, listen, I think you can see that Valvoline or Raptor. Well, the Raptor one was kind of hard to see the Raptor logo, um, you know, for the Raptor bedline. But, you know, that Valvoline, I mean, hell, that, that Valvoline logo is a hell of a lot bigger on that hat than it is on his regular hat, you know? So it just adds a little bit more sponsor visibility and stuff like that. So I don't have a problem with it. Who cares, man? There's more things to worry about in life than, than whether or not William Byron's wearing a big hat or not. Who cares? Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, uh, I think Phoenix, you know, it had its moments. I, I do like that the rules changes did make the cars a little bit harder to drive. They were a little more unstable. Um, you did have to be a little more on top of your game as far as handling goes. And I like that in, in, in the sport. I think we need more of that. And I think it's only going to create better racing. I, I just don't see how that's going to, you're going to lose on that deal. Um, Going to Xfinity, the Xfinity uh, Las Vegas race, um, you know, what can you say? <laughs> you know, it was a ho-hum race. Uh, I mean, it was kind of, you know, it was kind of interesting, um, you know, to watch, uh, you know, Sammy Smith go up there and lead some laps. Um, but, you know, I just, you know, Las Vegas is so, it's such a weird race because, you know, the Xfinity cars traditionally the last couple of years have been way better than the cup cars. And, you know, NASCAR made this all season rules change with the, to play around with the skew or I shouldn't say play around with the skew, but make it so that the skew isn't as severe as it used to be. So what I mean by the skew is that when the cars go straight down the front straightaway, the cars were almost looking like they're a crab walking. So they were tracking you know, depending on the track, um, some of them would track more to the right and some tracks would track more to the left, depending on, like I said, depending on um, the track, arrow, stuff like that. Um, but, you know, you look at Las Vegas, you know, Sammy Smith was doing pretty good uh, for a little bit there. Then you had Chandler Smith, who really dominated the race. Chandler Smith, I think, led 135 laps, um, should have won the race. But you know what? Late in the race, his car faded. And that's when Austin Hill came over and just took the lead. I think it was like seven or eight to go and and, and just took the win. And it's kind of funny because Austin Hill is one of those drivers that I think if you ask most people in the sport, you say, what do you think of Austin Hill? And I know up until this particular race, a lot of people are like, well, he can win on a plate track. Well, let's see him win at a real track. And he goes out and wins at Las Vegas and, and does it just like Kevin Harvick style as a closer. Um, and you're going to have guys like that, that just come on late in the game and, you know, whole hum. And then he goes out and wins. Um, I think Austin's a good little race car driver. I mean, you know, he's got four career wins in the Xfinity series. So, you know, he's got something going for him, but, um, he's got a, I think he's got a bright future. I just think that, you know, let's see how the rest of this year goes for him. Cause he won a couple of races last year. Um, you know, he won Daytona last year and then he won at Atlanta, which is basically another plate race. And that was it. That was all you saw of him last year. You didn't see him really contend much late in the season. He wasn't a playoff. You know, he, he was in the playoffs, but he wasn't, you know, a real title threat. Um, I, I think this year you're going to see a little bit more of him in that title mix. And, um, 
I do think he's he's going to be a serious threat this year for the championship. I think he's going to be in that final four, and I think it's going to be hard. I think it's going to be really hard to beat him. I think he's going to be a lot better than a lot of people think. And, um, you know, I just, I just, I don't know. There's just something about him. He's got that, you know, he's got that mentality of he's just going to do whatever it takes to win. You know, I, I, I don't want to use, I don't want to say he's a bulldog because I know he's from Georgia, but he's almost got that kind of mentality of like, he's going to scrap and claw. You know, he's got that, you know, almost that, that, I don't want to say junkyard dog, but he's got that, like, he's just got that blue collar. I'm going to scrap by with what I got and how I got here. And I'm just going to prove to everybody that I can win races. I can, you know, show up and, and do the job and, and be, be my own person and, and win and, and, you know, silence the critics. And I think that that's what you're seeing out of Austin Hill. Um, do I think he goes cup racing next year? Maybe there's a chance of it. I mean, I don't see why, why rush him. Um, I, I think he would benefit from a third year in Xfinity. Maybe that doesn't happen. Um, but I think RCR would have to get a charter for that. Which is kind of why I thought they were going to go get a charter this year anyhow. I really did. Th- I really thought that they were going to try to hold Tyler Reddick hostage. More or less lack of a better term there. And put him in, in a third car. And they were going to get Austin Hill ready for you know when Tyler left. But you know they ended up going with this other program. Which is basically... You know, putting him in the Beard Motorsports 62 for six races to get him, I guess, ready and run him enough so he gets more seat time and then put him in a cup car next year, um, which I don't think would be a struggle. I mean, I think he would be good at it. You know, I don't think he would set the world on fire, but he'd be all right. And then, um, you know, we had the Xfinity race at Phoenix. Which uh, we had the Sammy Smith coming out party. Sammy Smith, I think, led the most laps. Um, definitely a surprise to me of how fast he won. You know, I, I knew Sammy had talent. I mean, I seen him in Arca, but you know, when you're driving Joe Gibbs racing Arca equipment, which is X cup cars, uh, in the Arca series, I, you should be blowing people out of the water. Um, you know, in his limited starts last year, he kind of struggled at everywhere he was at. I remember watching him at Pocono last year, kind of scratching my head, like, uh, I don't know what uh, JGR is doing here, man. I, I just, this kid's going to struggle. He's going to suck, you know, next year in, in, in this car full time. And uh, prove me wrong. I mean, four races in, he's got his first career win. Uh, overall, his 11th career start. Um, big win for Sammy Smith. I mean, obviously, um, you know, hails from uh, Iowa, which is why he's got the Pilot Flying J sponsorship. He's got the Allstate uh, Peterbilt group on there. And he's also got TMC on there. So he's basically got the Michael Annette plan um, as his sponsors. And and, a, and like I said, a big win for him. Um, you know, it's always great to get your first win. He's got a really good crew chief on the box um, with Jeff Mendering, who's been with, uh, you know, Joe Gibbs Racing the last several years. That actually, um, I believe, was uh, Brandon Jones's race team from last year is, is over there with Sammy Smith and the 18 team. Um, so a big win there. And Ryan Truex, second place. I mean, Here's a kid that has been with Gibbs off and on for the better part of the last 10 years. If you remember his last second place finish, he got beat by a teammate as well. And that was at Dover back in 2012 when Joey Logano passed him late in that race at the Monster Mile and won. Um, Ryan Truex, I think, was leading with like six or seven to go. And and just uh, Joey had a had a little bit better car and chased uh, Ryan Truex down and uh, passed him for the win. And, um, you know, Ryan was running Sammy down, but, but then, you know, he got loose off of uh two there coming though. I think two to go. Um, and it really just created a big enough of a gap that that was, that was really it. That was really what happened there. So, um, going to be an interesting weekend. We got Atlanta. So the second time we're going there with this super speedway package, I should say second year, not second time. We were there twice last year. Silly me. Um, but the second, the second year we're going there with this, uh, super speedway package, the big change for the weekend is going to be turn three is going to be the start of pit road. So if you haven't checked it out, I believe Bob Pockers retweeted, uh, retweeted a Anthony Alfredo pick of the turn three entrance to, uh, pit road, which is going to be kind of interesting. Um, but you gotta, once you hit the commitment line, which is in turn three, then you have to slow down to pit road speed to enter. Um, just with the shorter distance, 
um, to pit road there versus like a Daytona where you have a bigger area to slow down. Um, they want, you know, or you have a wider track and a bigger track, all that you, you, you're much more narrow in Atlanta. They wanted to create that extra space to cause, uh, to create safe entrance to pit road and not cause so many accidents on the racetrack with guys trying to pit and slow down from 190 plus miles an hour down to, you know, 45. So, um, a change that had to be made and they made it. So good on kudos to NASCAR on that one. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, it's, it's going to be anybody's guess who wins. I say, pick them at this point. There's really not much, much left, uh, to really say about it. I mean, you know, last year we saw some pretty unique racing there. I cup. I'm going to just, I'm just going to pick by the seat of my pants. I'm, I'm going to go with Brad Keselowski. Brad's a good plate racer. I think Brad gets it done. The, you know, he's been quick this year. He just doesn't have all the finishes to show for it. But I think Brad Keselowski gets RFK into victory lane in 2023 on the early side of things. I think he gets his first win as a co-owner of an NASCAR Cup Series team and a big win for RFK Racing. So I'm predicting Brad Keselowski to pull it out this weekend at Atlanta. And as far as the uh, Xfinity Series, there's a lot of people to pick. Uh, you could pick basically almost anybody. Again, it's a plate-style track. Um, I'm going to go with the hometown boy. I think my boy Ryan Sieg is going to get it done this year. I think Ryan's struggled to start the season, but he ran really good there last year. He had the lead late in the race, and he kind of got freight trained by uh, Ty Gibbs and Austin Hill and company. But I think Ryan Sieg gets it done and picks up his first career win at the Atlanta Motor Speedway. And if that does happen, someone's going to have to check on Rod Sieg. Just make sure Rod's okay. That's all the time we got for on this episode of the Crew Chiefs Corner Podcast. I will see you guys next week as we break down all the races at Atlanta. Enjoy everything. Have a great week. And we'll see you next week here on the Crew Chiefs Corner Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Crew Chiefs Corner Podcast. I'm Bobby Bailey. Check us out on social media. Facebook at the Crew Chief. On Twitter at the Crew Chief. Instagram at Crew Chiefs Corner. TikTok at Crew Chiefs Corner. And on the Anchor app and anchor.fm. Thanks for listening.